Good morning and welcome. We're going to begin worshiping the Lord. Just begin to enter with me even right now. Lord, your word says if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. We set our eyes on you today. We set our hearts on you today. You said if we seek you with all of our hearts, we will find you. I just want to encourage you that whatever is going on in your minds right now, whatever things are in your day or in your week, lay them aside and begin to bring Jesus into the center of your pursuits. Lord, we seek you. When Jesus came to the earth and he released life through his words and through his ministry, it was as if he took a stone and dropped it into a pond. The ripples of that stone dropping began to go out in concentric circles. And it affected a place further and further off from him. And that is always the effect of the kingdom of God in the midst of a people. And when those ripples go out, there's something of the life of God that redeems and heals and restores the people. But the whole objective is that you are drawn into the center of it. The whole objective is not that you just stay on the outer rim and enjoy the effect of that wind and that breath of life but that you find the center, that you are drawn to the core, that you are brought in. But there is always a dynamic where people are content to stay on the outskirts and simply enjoy the benefits. And there comes a time when Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And when he does that, he brings an offense in order that those who are simply enjoying the benefits, who are distracted from the center by the blessing of being only partially near, he says, either you draw near or you draw away. And we are those who are saying, God, we love the center. We love the middle place. We love the place where you are, and we want to draw closer and closer and closer and closer and closer to you. You are the strand of life. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the resurrection and the life. You are the life. You are the life. You are the life, Jesus. And if there was some benefit on the outside, if there was some blessing in the outer rims, then there's much more, much, much more as we draw closer. You are the desire of all nations. And so we draw near. He is the father of lights. He is the father of lights. And we are the children of the light. And I saw us coming up out of long grass like, like a bunch of fireflies. And we began to gather together in a central swill. And the Spirit of God was lifting us and gathering us and swilling us and bringing us up before the throne of the Father. And we were coming before the Father as a dance of lights before the Father. Amongst the angelic, amongst the saints and the angels, we were coming before Him like a dance of lights. He is the Father of lights. And we reflect His glory. We are the children of light. Thank you, Father. I feel like the Spirit of God is saying, do you remember?
Do you remember when I first touched your life? Do you remember the beauty of the wind, of the presence that surrounded you when you first felt the presence of life? Life has come to you. Life has visited you. Life has resurrected your members and caused you to be able to act, to do. But I want to say to you that life is the preeminent thing. Not just what I've empowered you to do, but you must allow your heart to return to life, to feed upon me, to drink my life. In me you live and move and have your being. Come to me, you who have once again become weary and heavy laden, who have grown tired in doing good. Come and drink of the living waters. Turn again, turn again, turn again. Turn again, turn again, turn again. Turn your, turn your hearts. Turn your hearts away from ministry. Turn your hearts away from the doing that brings attention to you. Turn away from the doing that causes you to feel functional and important. And come and drink again of the life that breathes into you the sense of significance that only your maker can give you. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are my child. This is the whisper of life that heals and restores and strengthens. So we drink, Lord. We say you are the strand of life, Jesus. I believe this has been a moment of restoration. I believe God has uncovered channels in our hearts, channels in the deep of our lives, and the tides of life have flowed in and brought with it the sediment of the oceans, the sediment of the earth, and covered the deep channels of our intimacy, of our devotion, of the simplicity of devotion to Jesus. And God is offering us a moment to renew something that was lost, something that has faded into the obscurity of the darkness of our lives, And it's emerging again. We say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, awaken anew our first love. Awaken anew the passion, the excitement, the thrill, that the very thought of your love inspired us to give ourselves to you. 
And there's an offer being made to the elder sons that are in the house. The ones that when the rebellious prodigal son took off, you stayed faithful, but dry in your devotion, dry in your service. And only jealousy rose up when the rebellious one came back and suddenly he was showered with the very best of the father's blessing. Jealousy rose up. Hey, where's my fatted lamb? Where's my feast? Where's my special time? And the father says, you have always been with me. And everything I have is yours. How is it you did not know this? You were so close right there, but you never tasted. You never saw. You never enjoyed what was available right in front of you. But you made service your mantra. And you never lived in the joy of what I thought you were enjoying all along. So, Father, if we are those elder sons who resent the newcomers, who resent the ones who taste and see that you are good, turn our hearts to repentance, that we valued our service, hoping you would recognize our service, and invite us to come near on the basis of our service. And here the rebellious one came near on the basis of passion and desperation, and that was rewarded, but our service was not, God. Change our minds. Change our mindsets. Change the economy of our hearts that causes us to buy favor with service and faithfulness and obedience when really what you're longing for is a heart that longs and pines for you. Passion. This is what Mary had that Martha never understood. Martha could never pull herself away from the validation that came from service, service that was necessary, but not for validation. And Mary caught the greater thing to come near, to come to the center, not just find a role of service in the outer ripples of the kingdom of God, but to draw near and taste and see that he is good. There's a church that's arising in the earth that's driven by passion. There's a church that loves Jesus with all its heart, whose heart is wide open, whose faith draws upon the heartstrings of the Father, who are pulling down to the earth a manifestation of the love of God that the earth has never seen. There is a people who are desperate and hungry, who will not stop who will not abate, who will not pull back, who cry out with all their being, Jesus, we must have you. Jesus, we must see you. Come, Lord. 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 
you want to know what the return of Jesus is really going to be like? It's like a scene where a daughter is on a stage and she's, she's honoring her father and maybe at her wedding or whatever it is and she's talking about something dear to her, close to her heart and, and her, she's showering honor and blessing upon her father and her father's heart is moved to tears and he's, he's just loving and in, engaging deeper and dear and he cannot stay seated and he gets up and he runs and embraces her. That is what is going to bring about the return of Jesus Christ. It will be a bride that so showers him, so showers heaven with its faith and its love that he will not be able to remain seated any longer. He will have to get up. He will have to come because the spirit and the bride say, come, come. So we pray, let that fullness increase, Lord. And as we, uh, as we move into the next part of our service, the work that God is doing in your life is he's taking the cords of your heart and he's, he's pulling them so that they're no longer turned in other directions so that the fullness of your love can be toward him and he's pulling he's he's pointing out what about that one what about that core that's attached to this priority and this love and this this self-fulfilling desire what about that one and what about that one and and as he draws in the cords of your heart into him so the bandwidth, the fullness of your love, your witness, your testimony, your worship, everything starts to be filled and filled and filled. And the fuller your sound becomes, the more the resonating response of heaven is. And what will it be like when a church with all its strength all of its heart cries out. So, Father, we lay ourselves before you and we say, we don't even know what fullness of heart it is. We don't know what it looks like. God, we are so guarded. We are so careful. We are so concerned about our image. We are so concerned about doing things out of order, the wrong way. We can't even abandon ourselves to shout, to seek you, to cry out to you. And we say, Lord, today we want it. We want that. We want that fullness. We want that capacity. We want it. Because let me tell you, when he comes and he reaches into the world, he's grabbing for people that are presently full-hearted. And they may be full-hearted towards sin. They may be full-hearted towards something else. But the thing is, they are full-hearted. They are giving themselves to that. And if we are not equally full-hearted, when they come in, they will displace us. Because it's all about the heart. God, make me full-hearted. Can you say amen? Right now, Lord, I'm willing in this next season that you begin to take all and show me all the places. I commit today. If you can say that, just say it in under your breath. I commit today. I want that to happen. 
I am tired of saying, well, why is that guy getting that? And why is that person more anointed? Why, why when they shout, does it, is it release more life? And I can't even shout. I can't even give. Why, why, why? And that, the Lord is saying, that's because of that. And right now we say, Lord, deal with my heart. Deal with my heart. Let the sword of Hebrews 4.12 go deep, deep, and expose the intent and the motivation of the heart. Reveal the secret hidden things. Do you know why David in the Bible was able to be a man after God's own heart? Because he was all in. He, the, his heart was focused on God. So all the other voices that would speak to him could not, could not anchor themselves to the cords of his heart because the cords of his heart were fully anchored in God. That's why he's called a man after God's own heart. And that's what enables you to discern the heart of God because your, your heart is connected only to him. And when other men speak about their interests and their priorities, it just doesn't grab you because it does not attach itself to the cords of your heart. And then you can see the difference between the thing that God is after and the thing that men are after. That's also what Jesus had when he said, get behind me, Satan. I don't need your fame. I don't need the world to bow down. I don't need what you can offer. Because you're mindful of the things that men want in order to steal their hearts. But my heart is already won. It's already given. God, there's a clarity that he's going to give us. God is going to give us a, a clarity to see clearly what's coming from heaven. Clearly the strategies that the kingdom of heaven wants to implement in our society, in our lives. And we are going to have eyes to see and ears to hear if we let him do this. So we say yes, Lord. Can you say yes? Let's stand up together. If you can say yes, we're going to shout yes. Here, Jesse, shout yes. God, we say yes. We say yes. Yes! 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 We invite it. We say yes. We see it. We say yes. Yes! We see the cost and we say yes. It's worth every penny. It's worth every penny. It's worth every penny. We say yes. Yes. Amen. Why don't you quickly take your seats. I'm going to share right now while the, the atmosphere is hot. Just by way of testimony, I, uh, I had an experience this week. Actually, it seems that uh, I've been having escalating experiences in the presence of the Lord, but something very significant happened while we were in these meetings in Vancouver this week. And it had to do with uh, a passion for Jesus that I had a, a, a clarity of experience I used to have in an ongoing way with Jesus, uh, a level of intimacy and, and a capacity to experience him 
him alone and nothing else. And uh, it began to come over me in waves in Vancouver as I was in one of the meetings. And uh, in fact, I, I, I may have looked to others like I was sleeping, but I was experiencing just a deep, deep focused touch. And I, you know, these are just words and it's so hard to qualify depth of experience with terminology that's carnal, right? The words are earthly. They represent it. Well, you can say it was like this, like this, but I'm telling you, God restored something in my heart, inside of me, that I've been wondering for years, where did that go? Where did that go? And some of you may be thinking, well, I never had it to begin with, so how can I get it back? And I want you to know, whatever the situation of your life, whether you're like me in terms of, you know, and I don't know why God has these different tracks in our journey, to, but I'm, I, I know everything he does with you is, is meant to increase you and to bless you and to bring you into an enlarged faith and into a greater place of experiencing his love. But for me, it was uh, a capacity to enter into a place of intimacy that I have not had since my years as a young believer in 1981. And you think, well, what did you do? Nothing. I didn't do anything. This is what the journey is about. The journey does this. Like the cake that's cooked, you know, the, well, right at the final second, the, the cake realizes if it had intelligence, wow, I'm done. What happened in the last few seconds? Nothing different than it happened in the previous 25 or however long you bake a cake. I don't know. I've never baked one. But you know what I'm saying? It, which is the most important straw that breaks the camel's back? The last straw? It seems that way, but it's every straw. Every straw contributes to a journey that brings you to where you are. And while we like to find those threshold moments and point to them, they cannot exist without all the others. They cannot exist without all the others. That's why what you do in the journey all the time, you know, can say, what, when, when you suddenly... Uh, got big muscles from working out at the gym? Was it the last workout that did it? No, it was all the workouts. Well, what are we doing here? Why are we worshiping? What's, what's the point of praying in tongues and breaking through and, and having these things, you know, things aren't really changing for me. Says the man who lifts up a weight for the first time. I, what, I, I did 20 reps. I still don't have big muscles. They're just some things that are going to take a process. And believe me, you are in a process. I felt like Donald Trump there. <laughs> believe me. I've got lots of friends, great friends. Anyway, believe me. <laughs> God, God has you in a process. And you can speed up or slow down that process. But I'm praying you'll never escape it. Because the cake that exits the oven prematurely will never be done. So, anyway, I've got a bunch of things on my heart here um, coming out of this week.
and I want to try and share them with you as succinctly as possible. Some of them may seem to be a little bit um, complicated, but that's all right. But I, I sort of asked the question, I wrote a few things down here. How critical is, how critical can you be to the big picture? How critical can you be to the larger things that God is doing? There's a couple elements to this, so let me sort of plow my way through it. But one of the things has to do with the perspective that maturity affords. The nature of maturity, intellectual maturity, spiritual maturity, emotional maturity, is the, is the fact that the more mature you are, the more you see clearly, right? If you are in a scenario and you are emotionally charged, right? You go into a scenario and the girl that stole your last boyfriend is there and she's sniffing around your new boyfriend, right? You're, you're going to be, you're going to read something into that, Right? Potentially, you could read something into it that's not there. Why? Re your reality is skewed because of your emotional immaturity and your, the fact that you're going off. Right? Does that make sense? And so, and so runaway emotions, runaway agendas, runaway hopes and dreams and personal vendettas and all, all those things skew our ability to, to discern reality. And so God is actually saying, listen, I want to raise up a mature people who, who can discern reality, who can see with me, because the enemy's there to stimulate you in any way he can so that you misread what's happening. Mature people are stable enough that they're not able to be distracted. The winds of doctrine blow, but they're not distracted. They're, they're able to see the truth. And so, um, so similarly, intellectually, there's a limited capacity we have when we're immature. And you see that when you begin to get older, you realize that if you ever go back and watch a movie you watched when you were young, and you watch it, a, you know, five years later, you realize it wasn't about what you thought it was about. Because you, you, had, you didn't have the capacity to discern the plot line, what you were, and said, you know, when we were little boys, it's like, oh, man, the I want fight scenes. I want machine guns and explosions. And, and what's that slow stuff in between, right? And meaningless conversations. And come on, where's the explosions, right? So your, your love of that excitement skews your, you just can't take it in because you're only attracted to certain parts of the overall plot. So you see... Little segments, but you don't see the big picture. You can't see the big picture. And that's what's so great about, and I mentioned this before, but some of the movies, the, you know, the, uh, what do you call the animated movies they have these days, because they're layering them, because they've realized that parents have to watch this with their kids. So they're layering the plot lines, and so there's something attractive for each level of intellectual capacity. And so the parents aren't bored out of their death, you know, watching another kasplash, you know. There's, there's something that intrigues them on a more a higher intellectual level, which those that are not able to grasp that don't even see. Don't even see it. What? 
That wasn't, that wasn't in the movie. That wasn't what it was about. Uh, totally what it was about. Well, that kind of layering happens in the kingdom of God. There are layers and layers and layers of kingdom purpose. When Jesus did things, when God called David to do things, when Moses arose and was obedient to God and did such and such and such, let me tell you, there were, there, were, there were layers of things that people were supposed to do and they were tying in at the level of their understanding to the overall plot line. But God has constructed it such that you can have a place no matter how much of the plot line you discern. But the level of the plot line you discern will determine your capacity to engage. You hear what I'm saying? So similarly, when you have a... Uh, I was praying it this morning in the prayer room. When, when you hire somebody to work for your construction company, you're not going to hire an 18-year-old to, to run uh, a large department because they have no capacity to understand even the objective, never mind ha have the knowledge to do what needs to be done. And if you look at the focus, the orientation of the young employee at the work, I remember me, you know, I, I got in there and said, yeah, oh, I got a job, I'm a working man. And, and you know, that meant I, I shoveled dirt, you know. And, and I, eventually tired, I eventually tired of that work, and I thought, man, I don't want to do this all my life. So what did it require? It required that I enter into the bandwidth of a higher level understanding of what this was about. If I remain ignorant of the tier of construction above, what's required, then I cannot enter into that. If I don't understand what the carpenter is trying to accomplish, I cannot be a carpenter. I mean, not only are there the skills involved, but it's the knowledge. What is the end product? What's the end game? What, a wall? I need to build a wall? What, I, I see two by fours. What does a wall look like? How does this come together? If you don't actually know those things, you can participate as a laborer say, pick that up, put that here, but you can't go any further. Similarly, in the kingdom of God, the degree to which you engage in the kingdom of God is equal to your knowledge, your revelation. Now, when a, a young man like me is... Uh, and I remember 18 years old. Actually, I was 17 when I first started working in construction. Uh, I, I didn't care about the job. I wasn't oriented around the job. I was oriented around the paycheck. I worked for a paycheck. I had, you know, the pride in the job. There's no such thing for me. You know, and there could be a lot of reasons for that. You know, maybe you're 18 and you're more mature than me. I don't know. I was fixated on lunch, on the breaks, on the paycheck, and on quitting time. I mean, that was my whole vision all day long. You know, I said, oh, what time is it? Is it time for a break yet? You know, and uh, so, you know, I had these thresholds that I'm looking for. And I'm, you know, the, oh, lunch. Whew, what I, this is what I really want. This is what I really enjoy. And I remember the first time my priorities came into conflict with the guy I was working with. And uh, first of all, the particular job we were on, we were laying a foundation for, footing for a house. And the clay was so hard because I was the... I was the, uh, what is it, the plebeian. I was the one that had to do all the hard work. And I thought, but he's way stronger than me. He should, you know, but anyway, and, but pff, quitting time was coming. And I'm thinking, man, I can, I got 15 more minutes. Uh, I'm dying here. I'm dying. And uh, 15 minutes come up and I say, whew, I'm out of here. So I start taking off my, my tools. I said, what are you doing? I said, well, it's quitting time. 
It's not quitting time. He says, we're not done until the job's done. We need to get this footing in. And uh, I left. <laughs> I don't know what conversation took place between him and the company owner, but I never worked with that guy again. That's good because I didn't want to work with him. But you see the problem? Foreman, employee, I am looking for people who, whose hearts are dedicated to the job, who can encompass what needs to be done and whose priority is around what needs to be done, not other things. Now, this, is, this parallels exactly what's happening in the kingdom of God right now because God is looking to and fro over the face of the earth for those whose hearts are fully his. Why? Because that is the first requirement in becoming somebody that he can engage in his father's business at higher and higher levels. Somebody who has a heart capacity. You know, it's, it'd be like, it would be like in the natural, you find somebody who's a hard worker, right? You find somebody who's a hard worker. Man, you could do something with that. That guy's a hard worker. So, well, they don't know anything. Yeah, but they're a hard worker. That becomes... Uh, a commodity that's a premium. doesn't matter what they know. You can do a lot with hard workers. They learn fast. They're, they're not afraid of the work. They become committed. They're in. God is looking for hard workers. And by hard workers, I mean people that are, whose hearts are full. People who have the cap- capacity to not hold back and to throw themselves into worship. And, and worship is the key element, the testing point. That's why he says, I'm looking for those who worship me in spirit and truth. Why? Because if you can't fully engage, you can't throw yourself into worshiping him with all your heart and stop thinking about yourself, you will be hindered in every other capacity that you have in the kingdom. So that's starting ground. That is, that is like an employer looking for a hard worker. God is looking for people with full hearts who can give themselves to something. Well, what happens if I'm not that? Well, then God has another process for you. He, he's equal opportunity employer in that sense that if you are willing but don't have the capacity but are willing, he will engage you in a process that will start to bring other elements, parts of your heart that are divided. You know, the, 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 what does it say in James? It's about the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so he says the solution is to humble yourself and purify your heart. Purify your heart. That is a solution for the double-minded man. He's going in different directions because his heart is divided. He is fragmented. And so God has the ability to shift your heart. But it takes utter humility. And I've said that before. I say utter because uh, I love the way Jim Donater says that. <laughs> utter Humility. Where is he? (laughs) Anyway, uh, but that's what it takes. Because here's the thing. The heart is one of those things. Well, I'm here just as much as so-and-so. How come I'm not the captain of the team? Or how come I'm not? Because your heart's not in this. What do you mean my heart's not in this? I I was here five minutes early last week. I was, and you, you know, you'll point to the evidence that say you're like everybody else. But you're not. And you know who can see? People who are full-hearted. People who are more mature. It's, it's like a hard worker. What do you, uh, if, if the guys had said, what do you mean? Uh, if they had said to me when I was a young worker, let me back up. You're not a hard worker. What do you mean I'm not a hard worker? Did you see me grunt when I... Eh, 
I need to take a break. <laughs> well, you're not a hard worker because well, you took a break. Well, yeah, but I was tired. Well, hard worker is a capacity to push through when everything else is screaming in you for something else. It's in a capacity to align to priorities, not around your body, but around the priority. In the spirit, when we come to church, when we enter worship, we uh, align around a priority that we want to align around, and we serve that priority out of our heart. And you can't help doing that. That's just what we do. We all do it. But God says, listen, if you will let me bring the truth into your life that says, listen, your heart is divided. You are more passionate about that TV program, and you are more regular in making sure you watch that TV program than anything else in your life. Well, let me tell you what you have. You have a greater love for that than anything else because you, 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 you make room for what you love in your life. You make room for what you love. Oh, we're spending way too much time in prayer, you know. It's, I mean, it's fine. Prayer's great and everything, but, you know, there's other things. Yeah. But I'm very busy. But you make room for what you love. Are you saying we shouldn't love any? I'm just saying. What do you want? I feel like I'm, somebody's really looking to find fault with me here. Listen, it's about the heart. God can change the heart, but it takes the seed of truth to go in. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is the light of truth that shines in your heart and reveals the intent and motivation of the heart. If you will allow that process to come, God will change your heart. But it takes humility. You have to say, God, I am willing to discover what makes me uncomfortable. I'm willing to be uncomfortable. I'm willing to look in the mirror. Have we talked about this before? I think so. But I have to keep coming back to it because it is the apostolic foundation for creating hard workers in the kingdom of God, full-hearted people. There, there is no bypassing this. And so, again, it's like uh, the sports analogy I give. You know, when, you, when, you, when you're not winning, we go back to the basics. Because you win games in baseball by hitting the ball, by running the bases, and by getting others out. So we work on that. So what, why, is, why is all this important? Well, let me see if I can pull it together. God is looking for people to engage in the kingdom of God on a higher level. And I'll throw it out there right now. Pride, pride is the most obnoxious barrier in your life to you becoming who you are. Why? Because pride is an image of who you think you are that is created by your imagination. Pride is a vision of yourself. You know, it's like the guy who walks around like this all the time, and as soon as he hits the mirror, this is how I really look. In your dreams... Right? But, you know, men especially, we, we, we have all kinds of ideas about how we look. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hold on to that. No, don't hold on to it. The point is, in the larger 
scenario of your life, who, who you believe yourself to be is the enemy of who God sees you to be. Yeah, but, but I'm becoming that and God sees me as this perfect thing. No, no, no. God, yeah, God sees outside of time. There's no time with God. So God sees you in your completed state. But God is not a dummy. God knows that in order to get you to your completed state, you are existing in time and that it's going to take the process starting right here in order for you to be this. But he already sees what he's intended you to be. And he calls you that because he calls things that are not as though they are in order to create faith in you to do the journey. Not to pretend the journey's not necessary, but to give you faith in the possibilities of what he sees. Is that that clear? Feels clear to me. (laughs) Love you guys. So, So pride is the holding on to another image, another perception, another reality of who I am. And so Jesus deals with the Pharisees and he said, listen, their problem is pride. This 11 of the Pharisees, it's pride. And he says to them this, he, he summarizes their situation. He says, because you say you see, your sin remains. Or in other words, because you say you see, you are holding on to a reality that you believe to be true. And until you're willing to give up that reality, I can do nothing for you. And so what did he do to help them? He laid it on thick. He didn't, Jesus didn't hate anybody. Let me make this clear. Jesus did not hate the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He didn't hate anybody who put them on the cross. He said, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But he realized these guys, the imagery that they have about themselves is so entrenched, I must shock them out of it. I must break them out of it. Because their whole life, is, is a system of building this imagery, this illusion of who they are in order to prop up their sense of value in this culture. And the only way I can possibly get them is to get them where the poor are already, which is broken and aware that they're failing. So I got to tell these guys, the fact that you think you're surviving is a lie. You're not surviving. You're not successful. The truth is you're this. You're just the same as all the sinners and all the poor people and all the... That's what his message was. But it was easier for the poor people to see that they were at the bottom of society because they were. The illusion in the society was that we are not them. We are better. And so he says, the Tower of Siloam that fell on those men, do you think it fell on them because they were more evil than you? No. You will not fare any better, is his message to them. You are the same as them. No, 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 no. We were not born of fornication. We are the elite. We are, we are, we are, we are. And so the whole conflict, that thing that resists God, is my idea of who I am that contravenes God's idea of who I am. But you don't understand. I'm this. No, no, no. You're that in your future. Your future self is is assured through your obedience and faith and humility. But if you do what the Pharisees did, then your sin remains and you remain as you are. And so the reality is we can stay for years and years and years and years and years as Christians in the same... You know why churches get locked down? Because there's no nobody graduates into that higher level. All you've got is... Uh, 
is, is um, laborers. Imagine laborers on a construction site. They're building a high-rise and everything, you know. And all the laborers, are, our job is to move piles of sand. Well, and, and suddenly we come into work, and the engineers are not there, and the supervisors are not there, and the foremen are not there. And so, well, what do we do? Well, yesterday we moved that pile of sand from there to there. Today we're going to move it from there to there. There's no reason for it, but it's what we do in church. We just, we go through these behaviors, but there's no outcomes because we don't know what outcome we're even looking for. And then that becomes church. And then, and then the competitive uh, system, the political system, the man-made system of promotion through being there long enough, so you end up promoting a, a laborer to be president of the construction company. He doesn't know a clue. So what does he do? We are the sand piling company. If you need sand piled, we are your people. <laughs> right? And, and suddenly church, church as, as, a, as an expression of the kingdom loses its significance. And God doesn't cast away his people. He just sets them aside. Say, okay, you go there and, you know, build your sand castles. Move your, move your, move your stuff. Not because you aren't capable of more, but you won't. I'm just looking for people that I can bring in to a higher level of understanding what it is I'm building. And the only standing be- thing standing between you and, your, you and who you could be is who you think you are. So the enemy says, who do you think you are when you try to be somebody? And God, you know, uh, when you're lying to yourself, God says, who do you think you are? But for two different reasons. So pride is, is the thing. How are we doing for time? I didn't hear a response. Okay, thanks. So pride is, is the one key thing that will keep us from our destiny. I understand this last week on Wednesday night that somebody began prophesying about dragons and Leviathan, which is very interesting because this last week, before I went to Vancouver, the Lord began to speak to me about Leviathan. And he began to speak to me about some of the scriptures. I've never really looked into it, but somebody sent me a teaching. And God had already started to do something in me for our church because I believe God has a functional um, assignment for this church, all right. And this is where, this is where this thing of issue of understanding is important, because if you do not understand the importance of the mandate of a body of people, then you just start of look around. Well, what's everybody else doing? You know, well, they're those guys over there. They're singing this songs. Those guys, they they only sing for ten minutes. Why are we singing? You know, your only reference point, if you really don't understand, is what everybody else is doing. How many of you know that that's a problem in the church today? I can't tell you how many times people balk, you know, at what we're trying to do here because, well, uh, the Alliance guys aren't doing that. And I know this other guy, and he's prophetic, and they don't do that in their church. So I don't care, okay, because there's something that God is doing, and he's bringing us into it. And on some level, you have to trust that I'm coming into it in a larger way. Otherwise, let's go move sand. 
So, but we are on to something. Now, it came very clear to me this week that I've had a problem all my life. I always have. And maybe some of you can identify with this, and maybe some of you don't. But it has to do with pride. It has to do with the image of who you think you are versus who you are right now. And I was always out of step in time. I always perceived myself in a way in a way I was not. So, for example, when I was a young guy playing hockey, I, I was insecure, and my image of myself was damaged by the fact that, you know, my family life, my parents trying to kill each other, you know, things like that. They tend to destabilize you emotionally. And so your security is broken, so you look for other kinds of security. And the security I was looking for is what we usually look for is, is achievement, you know, a significance. And so your deep need of significance causes you to overreach. Can I say that again? Your deeper need, the deeper your need for significance, the greater the tendency to overreach. And so I would overreach. I remember my first year of hockey, my, my friend who was on the team, he was the captain, he was the best hockey player on the team, and he used to feed me a bone every once in a while when I'd come fishing for a compliment, you know, about how good I was. He knew that I wasn't that good, but, you know, well, yeah, well, you throw some good hits out there. You know, and that, oh, yeah, that's, that's it. So I would go and I'd do a body check, won a game, and the whole game, it didn't matter what else happened in the game. All I would think about is that one body check. And that was all I remembered. So when that guy scored and went around you and you didn't do that, and you, oh, that was, I don't even remember those things. I only remember the one thing I did right. Why? Because I must. I must in order to secure the vision of myself that I'm trying to secure. This is pride. It is an illusion. It ignores the bulk of reality and latches upon key moments where I, I did that thing and I live in the glow of that thing and the glow of that thing shuts out the vision of everything else that really happened. Hello? Can you see the problem we have with pride? And if there's any pride in our life, any insecurity, the compensating effect is you do not see the world as it is. Never mind the, the supernatural world. Never mind the things, the hidden things that God is doing. You can't even see natural things. That was, you know, Jesus' sentiment about Nicodemus. He says, how are, you know, if I talk to you about earthly things you don't understand, how am I even going to begin to talk to you about spiritual things? And the earthly things he was talking about was born again. That wasn't an earthly thing. That wasn't even a spiritual thing. That wasn't even a heavenly thing. Isn't that amazing? The most significant foundational stone of the evangelical church was not even a heavenly thing. It was an earthly thing. What do you think Jesus would like to talk to us about? Right? Have you ever thought about that? Jesus, Jesus is pining to find somebody that he can talk to the higher things about, but he can't. I can't even talk to you about the low things. Why are you saying this? I'm already deflated. Thank you. It's not about being deflated. We should not gather significance from any of these things. We should just say, God, I want to be useful to you. I want to be useful other than moving sand, piles of sand. I, I don't want to settle into a system that propagates empty rituals for the sake of my own sagging conscience. Why is this important? It's important because... We are mandated to establish something in this region, to, 
we are called. The kingdom of God is about releasing clarity. It's about enabling others to see. And so spiritual warfare is about that. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So regional powers, principalities and powers, we wrestle against them. And I won't even go into how that happens and the rest of that. But the idea is this. We can diminish their influence. And if we can diminish their influence, then the people in the jurisdiction of those powers will see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, it says who, whom the, the God of this world has blinded their minds in order that they may not be able to see the glory of Christ. So how, why don't people get saved? Because the God of this world has blinded their minds and they're not able to see. And so the question is, what is the jurisdictional structure of that blinding as it takes place relative to principalities and powers that we are called to engage with in order to create revival in our region? But I, I just came to prayer to say something in the name of Jesus. What is all this? Right? This is what we need. This is what we're doing every Sunday. This is what we're building. This is a whole, the church is an educational system to bring us into a knowledge to be able to do what needs to be done. And as we graduate into places where we understand what needs to be done and we begin to faithfully execute it, authority comes to our lives. It's very, very simple. Just like you would a company. Except in this case, God is the just judge of all. He's the one who gives promotions. Well, I feel I am underpromoted. Well, take it up with God. Because I don't promote. You don't promote. The board doesn't promote. God promotes. Nobody to blame. Okay, so I got a word years ago before I came to this church from Bob Jones about a certain kind of warfare. And as uh, this week I was thinking about this because I was taking in, and I didn't finish this story, I was taking in what was happening in Vancouver and I was realizing the lack of clarity that I've had along the way around these big things that I was involved with. I mean, I was involved with the Watchmen for the Nations. We were doing things, bringing repentance to Canada. And I mean, I was in there like a dirty shirt, but I realized how little I understood. I was, I was mostly happy about just being involved. I'm in the room! <laughs> right? And that, I, I'm saying that because I want you to not do that here. I don't want you to be, you know, I want to, uh, where's the inner circle? I just, I feel important by being in the inner circle. I'm not in the, if, if you are meant to be in the inner circle, if there is an inner circle, you'll be there. But it consists of those who actually understand. We're talking about quantum physics. Yeah, what's a physics? Okay, you, you can't be in the room. <laughs> you know how it works? We, we find our own level and it's quite appropriate. And so, but here's, here's the deal. We have had moments of victories and moments of tragic brokenness as a church. And yet, I believe that there are cycles down through the last 25, 30 years that this church is being brought through. And each time that we come into something, we hit something in the spirit, and something is diminished, and something is established. I believe that there's something significant that happens in our worship and in the larger cycles, and I'm talking about the cycles that revolve over seven to ten years in our church, that something is being accomplished with each hit. But we're coming around again. We're coming around again to a high place where God is going to release something that's going to hit 
the principalities and powers in this area. Okay. Now, I'm involved in other nations and other things, but, but, and that mandate for that is separate than the mandate for this, though they're connected because this is my training ground for that. But as a church, our role is to do something to establish revival in the same way there are churches in Calgary, in Regina, in Beijing, in, in uh, Singapore who are called to do the same things regionally for their cities. Okay? And the question is, when God releases an anointing or a power or a glory or the manifestation of himself, what causes us to lose it is pride. What causes us to lose it is the blessing that God means to reward us for our faithfulness and to establish something to bless the larger people we use to prop up our image of ourselves. So, you know, we, we maybe have an image of ourselves right here. Then God starts to do something. Now we're a part of this church and God is moving there. It's so great. And nowhere on the else, else in the earth is anything like this happening. And I'm in. I am amazing. You wouldn't say those words, but the, the glow of, yeah, that's, that's, that's my church. You know what I'm saying? Pride enters in so subtly. But what happens is there's a spirit, and it's like Leviathan. And this week I was looking at this video about Leviathan, and the Lord had been whispering to me, he said, because this, this is the principle of victory over principalities and powers. Jesus said this. He said, the prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. What causes us to have authority, or let me put it this way, to be immune to the effects of a principality and a power is the fact that there's nothing in us that agrees. Remember what I was saying earlier about the cords? When your cords of your heart are inclined towards human glory, when the cords of your heart are given to pleasing men, when the cords of your heart are after uh, a certain vision of yourself, you, those cords, those parts of your heart are susceptible. And when that spirit comes along, it appeals to those cords. You know, I just read this, saw this picture in, on, on Facebook this morning. It said, you know, the enemy doesn't come with, a, with a, you know, horns and a pick, uh, 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 what do you call it, pitchfork, you know, and a long tail. He comes giving you everything you want. And that's why Jesus said to Peter, the, you know, he said, get thee behind me, Satan, for you, thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. In other words, you are inclined towards the things of men, things men love, the things men long for, in order to simply gain an advantage and mastery over them. So there are things that the enemy will come and he has mastery over because those are the things in you that seek for vainglory like him, and therefore he rules over that. So this is what it says. Oh, I guess I can't, I can't look at it. But the last verse of Job, which is the, the only really uh, description of Leviathan, it talks about all kinds of things. There's so many powerful elements of this that we could point out. One of them has to do with how you war with Leviathan. How you war with a, a spirit dealing with pride is through immunity. Okay? Satan cannot cast out Satan. We understand what that means? So here's the last verse. It says, 
He beholds everything high. He is king over all the children of pride. He beholds everything high. He is king over. Jesus said to the, disciples, to the Pharisees, the, the unsaved, he said, he said, you are of your father, the devil. What? That was their response. We, we're not born of fornication. We're, what are you talking about, our father, the devil? Because what's manifesting in you is part of his nature. Therefore, he is your father. He is the father of lies. He's the father of murder. He's the father of envy. He rules over that. That is the material that makes you his, his, his pliable subject. You remember Star Wars? That Star Wars scene where the emperor is you know, facing Luke and he's created this trap and this elaborate trap is just in order to bring rage and, 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 and anger out of Luke. And he's, he's explaining how all of his friends are dying and everything. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's a colossal manifestation of a kingdom principle. But he's sitting there, and he's, the emperor sitting there. He says, uh, he says to Luke, he says, uh, I can feel the rage growing inside of you. Go ahead, strike me. I am unarmed. With each passing second, you make yourself more my servant. What? That's a, that's a spiritual principle. Rage, selfish ambition. That's why it says in James, where there is envy and selfish ambition, there's confusion and every evil thing. Every evil thing. Why? Because it's the breeding ground for demonic influence. You can't, you can't help it. It's what, it is his food. It is his food. It is what he is drawn to because he latches upon that and he can, he can gives him a foothold in your life. So, how, how do we become immune to Leviathan? How do we come, become immune to this church-dividing spirit that seems to move around our province and looking for prey? Here's the thing. He beholds every high thing. He sees high things. He doesn't see low things. Yeah, there's a, a statement, you know, the only time you ever saw the little people is when you were stepping on them to get where you wanted to go. You know, pride does not see low things. It, it's, it's invisible to him. And that's the essence of our spiritual warfare, is that there are things the enemy can detect and there are things he cannot detect. And he cannot detect humility. There was a movie called After Earth about uh, where Will Smith and his son, Jaden, I think his name was, were played this thing and there was this predator. And the predator, its gift was that it could sense fear. And so the only way to kill it was to be completely void of fear. And it was a special skill that had to be developed because, you know, you got these raging teeth and monstrous claws and whatever it is, inches from you, and don't fear, don't fear, don't fear. Just the slightest amount of fear releases a, a hormone or some scent that that beast detects. And suddenly you're dead. Like that. Leviathan feeds on pride. Leviathan, it's like, you know, when you go camping, they say, don't leave your food out because then the, the, the bears come. Pride is the food of Leviathan. 
is what he consumes. It is what he uses to establish his, his foothold, his influence within a group of people. You know, there's an interesting scripture when Israel was coming out of Israel and they were coming to the land and there was a debate as to whether they would go in and you know how that all went. But there was a, a passage where Joshua is talking and this is what he says. Listen to the language of this. He says, he's, he says no, listen, they are our food. Their covering has been removed from them. I want you to think about that. It's the inverse of what the enemy does to us that we should be doing to him. This was a, a, an example. The kingdom of God in the, in the Hebrews was able to advance because whatever spiritual covering caused, caused them to be uh, invulnerable was now gone. Now they are our food. What Leviathan is looking around, he's sniffing around for pride because he sees everything, every high thing. He detects pride and exploits it. And this is the spirit that exploits. Well, how can we ever be free from pride? Don't we all have pride? Yes, we do. But there are thresholds equal to spheres of authority. And when it comes to what we're called to do in this region and what Leviathan guards in his dominion is parts per million of pride. You know how it says a shark can, you know, in smell blood, a drop of blood 20 miles away? You know, because its capacity to detect is so fine that even in hundreds and thousands and millions of gallons, gallons of seawater, it can smell blood. There's a spirit that can smell arrogance. It's like a tasty hamburger. And God is saying, if you want to overcome utter humility, you have to be free of this. And that, with that, wow, that's a high order. That's a tall order. Like all of us, to some degree, more importantly, leaders, but the trickle-down effect is there. But if we're going to engage in high-level battle, which churches are called for, we're not called just to have camp meetings and do bottle drives and, you know, move dirt around. We're called to establish the kingdom, to rule over principalities and powers so that when, when they're made subject, when they're under his feet, then he returns. So how, how is that going to happen? We need to be free from pride. And it's hard when you've been successful. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble. When you're perfect in every way. Oh, you should see our prayer meetings. You should see our worship. You should see our pastor. He's so tall. (laughs) Uh, The things you see, the, the deep work of God and where your heart's at, the cords of your heart, what your heart attaches to, what you dream about, what you long for, what you allow him to reveal in you, all of this will result in an immunity or a vulnerability to a spirit. And God will not bring you into a battle to a spirit with a spirit that's going to destroy her, except if he has to. And sometimes he does. 
Sometimes God resists the proud and gives, gives grace to the humble, and sometimes the very vessels that he wants to use, he must diminish somewhat, so he makes them vulnerable by resisting them so that they get sniffed out, they go through hard times, and you, but here's the, here's the beauty. Afterwards, they, it's not me, it's the Lord. It's not me, it's the Lord. I mean, humility is the result of realizing what you can do and can't do. And just when you think you can do what you can't do, he shows you you can't do it. So you stop thinking, I can do it. No, I can't do it, it's him. And it becomes very natural. Then you stop taking glory for things you never did. You stop trying to live in the glow. Oh, yeah, that revival, that was... I know I was a really limited person in, on the sphere of that, but it was really there because of my righteousness. I contributed really immensely. People didn't know it, but I was really a key intercessor. I was, you know, I had this deep intercession that made these things possible. The leaders didn't know it, but it was me. But I, I'm, I, we won't tell him. Later on, God will tell everybody. I mean, the illusions, the delusions of pride know no end. And God is saying, listen, I, I want you to be powerful in the earth. I want you to be part of tearing down principalities and powers. I want you to come in to a knowledge of what I'm trying to establish in this region, in this place. The only thing standing in the way is what you currently believe about yourself that's wrong. So... God loves you. He loves you in your pride. He loves you in your brokenness. He loves you in your sin. Before you were anything at all, he died for you. And that is the, that is the message that freed us, frees us today from considering ourselves. That's what enables us to deal with pride because our standing is not based on whether we're doing it right. So we don't have to hide. We don't have to lie to ourselves. There's freedom in that. You can be exactly who you are right now. No pretenses. That's a beautiful thing. So this week, and I'll wrap up with this. This week, and this is why this is so important. This week I was, we were reviewing the history of certain moments in the kingdom of God in Canada. Certain key things that happened. And as we were considering them, I was looking at the obedience and the sensitivity to the heart of God that caused for decisions to be made about dates and times and things done and waiting. And here's the thing. Most people did not know the numbers of voices that are always around saying, no, we should do this, we should do this and this time. A lot of it was around money. When the Lord said, you know, call a meeting at this time and this place. Are you kidding? That's PEI in the summer. That's the most expensive season of the whole year. Nobody's going to fly all the way to PEI. They don't even have direct flights. 2,300 people show up and da-da-da-da-da-da. The agendas of men are always speaking all the time. We should do this, we should do this, we should do this, and that costs too much. And if we don't do this, and what was interesting is all along the way, there was careful obedience, careful obedience, careful obedience. This is the present reality still in my life. I'm ready for some things. I'm not ready for others. You're ready for some things. You're not ready for others. Are you willing to embrace the journey, to be faithful in what you're ready for, 
Humble yourself to invite him to say, God, change my heart so that when you begin to speak about higher things, I could actually hear. I should actually see the difference between your heart and my ambition. Lord, I don't want to be blinded by what I think I know or by what I want, by what I want because of my insecurity. Everybody is eligible to be prepared for this in the body of Christ. Everybody. Everybody. And make no mistake about it, our role in eternity will be, will hinge upon how much of this we allow to happen. I, the sense in my heart is renewed this week. Okay. Do it, Lord. I want the truth. I want to know. I want to just be faithful. I don't want to exceed my mantle. I don't want to exceed my role. I don't want to desire something beyond what I'm ready for. There's safety in that. There's safety in that for us as a church. So, Father, we want to give this journey to you today and say, we don't know. And we need you, Holy Spirit. We need you, Holy Spirit. Amen.